Jonah. Short little book in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. The title of the message this morning is The Prodigal Prophet. We're looking this morning at just those introductory verses. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The title of the message is The Prodigal Prophet. Reading Jonah, I would submit to you, is something like or somewhat synonymous to standing before a great mountain as a mountaineer. Having trained hard and being well prepared for the climb, one might assume that a successful ascent is assured, as well as a successful descent from the mountain. Such an attitude, as every experienced mountain climber knows, though, is very foolhardily. Like great mountains, great books, especially inspired books, especially books that are in your Bible, command great respect. Like the poet William Blake once said, great things happen when men and mountains meet. And I would add how much more so when the people of God, with the right orientation, with the right heart, stand at the base of the revealed word of God. Here's what I want you to get from that short little book. But we would be foolhardy. If we stood before this short book and did not see the mountain that stands in front of us, God has a lot to communicate in these four short chapters in the introduction of Jonah. And uh, I pray that over the next 12 or 13 weeks as we work our way systematically through uh, the book of Jonah, that the Lord would teach us great and unsearchable things that we do not yet know. With that being said, let me encourage you to stand this morning as we read God's word together. We want to turn our attention to our text for this morning, the author of the text, presumably Jonah, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 pens the following words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up from before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from before the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. The book of Jonah that you have open in front of you there is comprised of four short chapters, just 48 verses, and a little over a thousand words. But its significance, I'll submit to you, is absolutely grand. And what is the book of Jonah about? You had to answer that question if you were to write somewhere in the margin of your notes this morning, which I would encourage you to take notes. You'll always listen better if you do. If you had to to scribble or jot there in the margin of your notes, what is the book of Jonah all about? How would you answer the question? How would you answer the question? Oftentimes we think of Jonah and we think synonymous with great fish. When we think about Jonah, we think about a great fish, but that fish is only mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. Sometimes when we think about the book of Jonah, we think about that great city of Nineveh. 
But I would submit to you that that's not what the book of Jonah is all about. That great city of Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in this short four-chapter book. This book is not even primarily a story about a disobedient prophet named Jonah, for Jonah himself is only mentioned 18 times in this short four-chapter book. Like every book of the Bible, including those two books, Esther and Song of Songs, that don't mention God's name explicitly, the book of Jonah is emphatically theocentric. In other words, God is the theme of the book of Jonah. It's not Jonah, it's not the great fish, it's not the great city of Nineveh, it's it's not the prophet who's got a prodigal heart here. Jonah is a book that is primarily about God, about his nature and his character and his attributes. The book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it, but it's also about the love of God and how we, as God's chosen children, are called to proclaim it, to share it, to the ends of the earth, even, even to the worst of sinners. The book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it and the grace and love of God and how it extends even to the worst of sinners and that we are called to proclaim it and take it there. With that being said, this morning you're taking notes. Let me give you point number one on your outline. It is simple. God calls Jonah. God calls Jonah. It's very clear in verse 1. Look at your Bible there. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God calls Jonah. That's what we see here in these first two verses. The call of Jonah as a prophet, as a servant of the Lord. Jonah is one of 12 books that we would refer to as the minor prophets. But Jonah, unlike the rest of the minor prophets, is distinctly different. You see, unlike the rest of the minor prophets, Jonah's message does not contain a prophetic message delivered by the prophet. Instead, Jonah is a narrative. We don't know that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. All throughout church history, that has been the standing assumption and I will hold to that for the sake of our study. I don't think we have any reason to believe that it was not Jonah who penned the words of his own story. But Jonah, as one of the 12 minor prophets, is distinctly different in that it is not just the prophetic word of God to his people. It is is a historical narrative recounting this prophet whose name is Jonah. The prophecy of Jonah begins with the God or the call of God on his life. Verse number one opens with a general statement of that divine call. Look again at your Bible. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, we don't know a lot about Jonah. Scripture does not tell us a lot about this historical figure, about this prophet in our Bible. We know his name, we know his father, Amittai, and we know his role as a prophet of God. A few other things that we know here about him. Jonah, in the Hebrew, means dove. Jonah's name means dove. It's interesting to note uh, here that unlike the dove that was sent forth from the ark to go out, Jonah, the dove here in his own book, does not go out. As a matter of fact, he turns and he goes the opposite direction. 
Whether there's any intentional play there in the Bible, I don't know. But it's an interesting fact to note. Jonah means dove. It's interesting also to note that his father's name, Amittai, means my truth or my true one. So there is a sense in which Jonah, the dove here, is the son of the truth. As is every son and daughter of God. We're sons of truth, daughters of truth. Jonah was one of four Old Testament prophets whose ministries were referred to in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus himself. The others were Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah. We see Jesus refer to those prophets in the New Testament. And Jonah, though we don't know a ton about him, we know that he must have been somewhat of a popular prophet. We find Jonah mentioned back in the book of 2 Kings. And we find there in 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jonah had prophesied that the nation of Israel would regain her lost territory from her enemies. So you can imagine Jonah standing before Israel, prophesying to Israel, telling her that she would regain territory, that she would regain land that had been taken from her by her enemies. That would have made Jonah a popular man. That message would have been a well-received message for Israel who had long had her land or her territory taken away from her or occupied by others, even oftentimes by her enemies. These were days of peace and prosperity for Israel. But we know if you keep on reading the story even past Jonah that that wouldn't last long. Judgment was coming again upon Israel. And we see that theme over and over and over in the New Testament. There's blessing and days of peace and prosperity for Israel. And then there's a gravitating away from from the Lord's covenant promises by Israel. And so the Lord brings judgment and chastisement, which brings Israel back to a place of repentance and faith. And then things would get a little bit comfortable in that time of blessing and prosperity. And so the Lord would bring judgment and chastisement, oftentimes by Israel's enemies, That would lead her once again back to repentance and a renewed, restored walk with Yahweh. We see that theme taking place over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And here in 2 Kings, Jonah is a part of prophesying some peaceful days, which would have made him a popular prophet. But we know, like the cycle in the Old Testament, that this would be short-lived. Now, notice in verse 2 here. Verse 2 records the specific details of God's call upon the life of Jonah. God tells Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now it's interesting. There's a Hebrew imperative that begins verse 2 there. God calls Jonah to arise. To arise. It's often at times we see that, that Hebrew word there, that Hebrew imperative, arise, used along with other verbs to indicate a need for a quick response. In other words, Jonah is not necessarily being ordered to get up. It's not as if Jonah was laying down or sitting down or perched somewhere. What God is communicating here, however, is that Jonah is to go without delay, that he is to depart immediately for Nineveh. We see that in the very first word of God's call. God demands radical first-time obedience. 
I think that is one of the first lessons that we get from this wonderful book of Jonah, which I will submit to you, there is an overarching theme in the book of Jonah. I think it's mercy and judgment. And we'll talk about that a lot over the coming weeks, mercy and judgment. But outside of that overarching theme, the, uh, the, the themes that come to us or the application that comes to us from this small four-chapter book that bears Jonah's name is somewhat of a kaleidoscope. There's all kinds of challenging, instructive word here for us from the Lord. God calls Jonah to arise, not simply to get up, but rather to go, to go immediately, to go without haste, to go without delay, depart from Nineveh now. That's what God is telling Jonah. That is the call there, first time obedience. God demands obedience. In the U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, Proceedings is the name of the magazine of the Naval Institute, Frank Cook illustrates the importance of obeying the laws of the lighthouse. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I, Frank, was serving on the lead battleship, and I was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an active eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, There's a light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or is it moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout replied, Steady, captain which meant that we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain called out to the signalmen, signal that ship. We're on a collision course. Advise you to change your course 20 degrees. Back came a signal, advisable for you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain replies to the oncoming ship, send them this message. I am the captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The reply came back, I am a seaman, second class. You had better change your course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was furious and he sped out, send this, I'm a battleship, change your course 20 degrees. The response back, I'm a lighthouse, change your course 20 degrees. Needless to say, the battleship changed its course. First-time obedience, friends. First-time obedience. When we come face-to-face, nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe with the revealed Word of God, God's Word oftentimes confronts us. And it challenges us to change our course. Right? We talked last week briefly about one of the themes that came out of the Protestant Reformation, and that was the theme of semper reformanda. It means to always be reforming. We need to be doing that as a local church. We need to be doing that as individuals, continually reforming, reshaping, reorienting our life, our thinking, our actions, our attitudes to the revealed word of God. God oftentimes comes, comes to us and he says, change your course, change your direction. And oftentimes we reply back, no, you change your direction. And just like the battleship here, The lighthouse gets the last call because the lighthouse isn't moving. 
Friends, what we need to know is when we read God's word and he calls us to change course, he's not moving. He's not moving. It's our move. The Dutch Reformed theologian Abraham Kuyper once said this, speaking about our our obedience and our sinful hearts. He said, our heart is continually inclined to rebel against the Lord our God. So ready to rebel, so gladly were it but for a single day that we could take from his hands the reins of his supreme rule, imagining that we would somehow manage things far better and direct them far more effectively than God could. That that truth and that reality resides in each one of our hearts. There is that rebelliousness, that streak of rebellion, just like we'll see in Jonah's heart here shortly. God calls Jonah to arise immediately without delay and depart for Nineveh. God says, I'm the lighthouse. You change your course. You obey me. Look at where God calls Jonah to go. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh was in northern Mesopotamia on the east bank of the Tigris River. I would encourage you, uh, you probably have some glossy pages at the back of your Bible. Some of you may look at them more than others, but there's probably seven or eight pages of maps in your Bible, uh, in most of our Bibles. And so I would encourage you maybe sometime this afternoon or in the coming days to look at that Bible and you can kind of orient yourself here. But Nineveh was on uh, the, the, the northern side there, northern Mesopotamia, east of the Tigris River, and it was largely occupied by the Assyrians. Which, here's what you need to know about the Assyrians. I'll say more about them here in just a minute. But they were one of Israel's greatest enemies. As a matter of fact, Assyria oftentimes terrorized Israel. It was a large and wealthy city. And so, in short, God was asking Jonah to go to a major pagan metropolitan area full of his enemies. It's a pretty big call. But God looks at Jonah as he would look at us and says, Jonah, you, you obey me. The Lord called a specific person, Jonah, to a specific place for a specific purpose. And this is God's standard operating procedure. There's, there's no accidents in our lives. Our infinitely wise and perfectly good God designs every detail of our lives to accomplish his eternal purpose. You just need to know that. Even, even when it seems to be the wrong thing. When God says go, it's always the right thing. Nineveh, that great city. Look at what God says about Nineveh. Nineveh. Here's the indictment. Their evil has come up from before me. I want you to arise. Go without delay. Don't procrastinate. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go to Nineveh, that great city. That pagan city, that pagan Gentile city full of your enemies, arise and go there without delay. And do what? And call out against it or prophesy against it or preach to them or proclaim to them. Why? For their evil has come up before me. There's a lesson that we would all do well to learn here. Just in this short phrase, their evil has come up before me. And that lesson is that God sees everything. God sees everything. Not a single sin has ever gone unnoticed by the Lord. 
His sovereign, omniscient eye sees the wickedness of our hearts fully exposed all the time. You're never alone. Neither am I. Your sin is never hidden and neither is mine. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. He says, no creature, or no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed before the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give account. And so here you have God's omnipotent eye looking down at Nineveh, and he sees their evil, their wickedness coming up before him. There's a great lesson that we need to learn there, and that's that your sin and my sin are always seen. It's always seen. Correspondingly, Ezra in 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me. God sees both. God sees all the wickedness of our heart, all the evil of our heart. It's all exposed. We lay naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But correspondingly, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We need to know, and I think our lives might look a little bit different, even in those secret moments, if we understood and knew well that God's always watching. He always sees. He always sees. There's the context in verses 1 and 2. God calls this relatively obscure prophet that we don't know a whole lot about, Jonah the dove, son of Amittai, who would have been a popular preacher in his day because he was preaching a time of peace and prosperity to Israel. Judgment's coming. He's the son of Amittai, the son of truth. He's been called the first time obedience to arise, to go without delay to Nineveh, that great city, a wealthy city, but a pagan city filled with Gentiles, not only Gentiles who who are not the covenant people of God, but enemies of Israel and to call out against them because their evil has come up from before the Lord. God's call on Jonah's life. Number two, write this down. How does Jonah respond? How does Jonah respond? Well, Jonah resigns and he runs from God. Jonah resigns his prophet status and he runs from God. Look at verse 3 in your Bible there. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from before the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to note, Jonah responds to God immediately. However, He has no intention of obeying God's instructions. Jonah was summoned to go eastward, but he ran away in the exact opposite direction, west. Jonah said no. Jonah told God no. He went the opposite direction. God told Jonah to go east to Nineveh. Jonah went west to to Tarshish. When the Lord called Isaiah, this is interesting to note, and said, will you go? Isaiah says, "Here, here am I, Lord, send me. 
But that wasn't the case in Jonah's life here. When God called Jonah, he replied, here am I, send someone else. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going. I'm not going to Nineveh. He went the exact opposite direction here. And notice this language here in verse 3. To flee from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And at first glance, this verse seems to imply that by heading east to Tarshish, away from Nineveh, Jonah could place himself outside of the Lord's jurisdiction. But we know that that's not the case. Because in verse 9... Chapter 1, verse 9, Jonah acknowledges, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah has some good theology here. Now, granted, he, he trades it in. He resigns. But Jonah acknowledges, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. If, if, he, if God is the God of the heaven, then where can I go from his presence? Which, by the way, as an Old Testament prophet, well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures, Jonah would have most certainly known that there wasn't a place where he could go where God was not. He would have been well acquainted with the psalmist words in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Jonah would have known those words well. He would have been well acquainted with the psalmist's words. And so when we read here in verse 3 that Jonah rose and he fled from the presence of the Lord. We know that Jonah wasn't trying to get away from God's sight. What he was trying to get away from was God's jurisdiction. But God is omnipresent. He's never late. He's never tardy. He's never absent. He's fully present everywhere, all the time, at the same time. There's no place that you can get away from God. Yet Jonah foolishly determined to run from God. And so do we. And so do we. Oftentimes when God calls us or bids us go, we try to run. Foolishly. Thinking that we can get away from him thinking that we, can, that we can get away from his sovereignty, from his omniscience and his omnipotence. Jonah's sinful, rebellious ways warn us that there is never a good reason to disobey God. Friends, mark it down. There is never a good reason to disobey God. But by fleeing from the Lord's presence, Jonah emphatically announces his unwillingness to serve God. And so his actions then are nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. Every time we sin, friends, whether it's in motive, thought, action, intention of the heart, every time we sin, there is a war for sovereignty taking place. Catch that? Every time we sin, there is a war for sovereignty taking place. God has revealed his word to us. He's called us to obey. And our sin is a refusal to obey. It's a departure from the revealed word of God. And so ultimately what we're saying in those moments is, 
I am ready to go to war with you over who is sovereign. That's a dangerous place to be, friends. But that is what all of our sin declares all the time. It declares that we want to be the sovereign of the universe. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. But God says, I'm the lighthouse. Change your course. Change your course. The issue was obedience. That's the issue here with Jonah. From, from, from these first three verses in, in the opening, the opening words of Jonah, what, what comes careening forth off the pages to us is the issue of obedience. And there are times when we don't know what the Lord would have us to do in a particular situation, but that's not what this text is about. This text warns us about those times when you and I know exactly what the Lord wants us to do and we fail to do it. That's what we're looking at here in the text. And I would tell you that we're more like Jonah than we are dislike Jonah. James 4.17, James tells us, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Jonah knew what the right thing to do was here. He knew exactly what God was calling him to do, and yet he chose to disobey. He wasn't trying to figure out, God, what do you, what, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Where are you trying to lead me? God was very clear, and Jonah disobeyed. I think we see here in the text a handful of wrong attitudes exemplified in Joseph. And I think that we exemplify some of these wrong attitudes here. You can uh, jot them down under number two there. Let me give you four wrong attitudes that I think we see in Jonah here. Number one, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. You see, obedience wasn't an addendum to the life of God's servants. God demands our obedience and he deserves our obedience. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament equates our obedience with our love for God. Right? John 14, 15, John 14, 23, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey me. Jonah had a wrong attitude here as it pertains to the will of God, which is closely connected to point number two. Jot this down. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the word of God. I mean, the opening line in Jonah is, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The problem is that Jonah disliked God's word. His attitude was wrong. The way that Jonah viewed the word of God was blasé, take it or leave it. That's not an option that's given to us. Disobedience is never an option given to God's servant. Third, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward his own circumstances. Not only a wrong attitude towards the will of God and the word of God, but a wrong attitude as it pertained to his circumstances. You see, Jonah thought that his circumstances were working in his favor when in all reality they were working against him. You see, even though Jonah was on the run from God, circumstantially, it seemed as though things were working in his favor. Let me explain. Jonah made it safely to Joppa. There was a ship that just seemed to be waiting for him there. He happened to have the fare in his pocket. He was even able to sleep soundly in the bottom of the boat, even though a, a storm was crashing all around outside. We'll pick up with that part of the story next week. But friends, here's what I want you to see. It's very possible to be living outside of God's will 
and still have circumstances that at least on the outside seem to be working out favorably for you. Catch that. It's very possible to be living outside of God's will and yet have circumstances that from the outside looking in seem to be working out favorably for you. In other words, you can be actively disobeying the Lord and have a false sense of security that includes even a good night's sleep. That's how insidious sin is. But if you're running from God, don't ever think that you'll get away in the end. Sooner or later, just like he's going to do with Jonah, God will stop you in your tracks. Mark it down. Sooner or later, God will stop you in your tracks. God's providence works in such a manner that he can even use a raging storm to call you and I to repentance. Number four, and lastly here, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward his neighbors. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward his neighbors. A question that we're going to be forced to wrestle with as we continue through our study of Jonah is this. Why is Jonah, a prophet of God, called to go to a Gentile nation? Most other prophets in the Old Testament were called to go to the nation of Israel. But Jonah, a prophet of God, is called to go to a Gentile nation. Why is that? Why is that? Why was Jonah commissioned to go to a foreign nation instead of to his own people? Well, I think there are two things that we need to be aware of here. Okay? That that speak to the fact that Jonah had a wrong attitude toward his neighbor. First of all, Israel's national pride as the chosen people of God. You see, the essence, the essence of God's covenant relationship with Israel is found in the words, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. And as God's chosen people, Israel was set apart before God as, as witnesses to his name to the surrounding nations. In other words, God had called the nation of Israel to be uniquely distinct in all of their dealings, in all of their living, so that there would be clear distinction between the nation of Israel, the the covenant people of God, and all of the Gentile surrounding nations. In other words, Israel's relationship to God entailed a mission, a mission that implied clear distinctiveness. The problem is that that distinctiveness traveled to the head of Israel oftentimes. And, and, and they, they, they became stiff-necked, and, and they, they raised their nose at all the surrounding Gentile pagan nations. We are the people of God, and you are not. We, we are the people who are the recipients of God's blessing, and you are not. We are the covenant people, you are not. It was oftentimes the sentiment with Israel. That's not why God blessed Israel. God blessed Israel as a nation so that by looking distinct, the other surrounding nations would look to Yahweh. The problem is is that Israel oftentimes did not want other nations to know their God. And that's the issue that we're going to be confronted with here in Jonah. Jonah is a picture of a nation. Jonah, in a lot of ways, serves as a picture of what goes on in our own heart. The reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because Jonah struggled in his heart with the fact that God might save that pagan nation. 
who also happen to be some of our greatest enemies. You know, as you, here's B, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward his, toward his neighbors. You know, Israel, of which Jonah is representative, as a nation, had pride concerning their chosen status as God's people. And secondly, we have to know something about the history of carnage that existed between Assyria, which was occupying Nineveh, and the nation of Israel. The Assyrians were ruthless enemies of Israel, and thus they were particularly hated. Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, was famous for its cruelty and brutality. As a matter of fact, after defeating their enemies, they would sometimes torture them. After killing their enemies, uh, they would sometimes uh, make art out of their skull and their remains. I mean, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the Assyrians. You can imagine uh, the way that, that Israel and Jonah subsequently would have viewed Nineveh and the Assyrians that were there. Jonah would have rather Nineveh be destroyed and that the Assyrians who occupied the area uh, die instead of that they live and, and, and be able to attack Israel later on. Jonah's fear is expressly stated in chapter 4 when he argues with God. We'll, we'll be there in a handful of weeks. Jonah says, this is why, speaking to God, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah would have rather died than that his Gentile neighbors be saved. Have you ever been so angry at someone that you didn't want that person or that group of people, to be the object of God's blessing or the recipient of God's blessing, that runs deep in us all. You ever been so disgusted by or or so so hated a a group or an individual that, that you would rather anything else take place than that individual or that group of people be the recipients of God's blessing? That's what's taking place here in Jonah's heart. He had a wrong attitude towards his neighbors. We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That means that we would be uh, quick uh, to go and share with even our enemies, even our enemies, the goodness of God that they might be uh, recipients of and share in his blessings. You see, Jonah's problems were really theological in nature. His problem was with God. His problem was with God. All sin stops right there. Our problem when it comes to sin is always with God. Because we want to be the battleship and we don't want to obey the lighthouse. Jonah did not want God to save his enemies. He had a really God, even them attitude. The evangelist D.L. Moody once spoke of the mountain slope where the risen Lord Jesus commissioned his first disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. That, that, that passage is in Mark chapter 16. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so as Moody is speaking about this text here, he pictures Peter's wide-eyed wonder as he, Peter, asks Jesus if they must go to the ones who drove the nails through his hands. You mean, Jesus, you want me to to go to them too? 
The very ones who hung you on the cross, the very ones who pounded nails through your wrist and your feet, you want me to go to them too? Again, Peter asks if they must go to the man who drove the spear into the master's side. And Jesus says again, yes, and tell them that there's a nearer way to my heart than that. Tell them that there's a nearer way to my heart than that. And so those early disciples entered into the compassion of their master. His spirit came upon them and broke down all their little human boundary walls. You see, what Jonah needed and what we need, if we are to be the Lord's true servants and messengers, is to get our minds and our feelings in the great, wide flow of divine compassions for sinning, suffering, struggling, sorrowing men and women. And put all of our prejudices aside. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to even acknowledge that we have prejudices at times. There are two unmistakable themes, and we'll close with this this morning, that run through the book of Jonah. And those two themes are judgment and mercy. We see them woven all throughout these short four chapters. Judgment comes to Israel by way of foreign nations because she repeatedly disregarded her covenant with the Lord, but at the same time, mercy is extended to the Gentiles as a corollary response. You see, we'll see at the end of Jonah that the wicked city of Nineveh indeed does repent, and God pours out his mercy on Israel's enemy. Why? Why? Well, first, to demonstrate his glory, and secondly, to bring Israel to repentance herself. You see, Nineveh's repentance, in this sense, stands as a rebuke against Israel. In summary, we'll see that God has been merciful to Israel as well as to Nineveh. What we see here in this short book is the promise previously announced to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 1, or 12 rather, that all the nations will be blessed. You see, we see that promise taking shape here in preparation for the greatest prophet that has ever come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jonah was learning the lesson that the pulse beat of God's heart had an evangelistic rhythm. And so I have a closing question with you this, for this morning. Does yours? Is the pulse beat of your heart beat with an evangelistic rhythm? Will you go wherever, even to your enemies, even to those you dislike or may have in, in some way treated you unjustly in the past, even to your enemies, that they might also be the recipients of God's blessing just as you have been? Do you share God's heartbeat? You see, what we see here in Jonah is that God is a missionary God and that all of his people are called to be missionaries in the world in which we live. Just as Jesus in Mark 16 called his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel with every living creature, so that same commission has been given to us today. The question is, friends, will we obey? We have been called. That is without question. The question is, will we resign and run, or will we change course and go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for this short four-chapter book that bears Jonah's name, which is filled 
uh, with grand themes of mercy and judgment and grace and the gospel, but is filled with many other uh, themes that are highly applicable to our lives. God, we, we want to be a church. We want to be men and women uh, who obey you quickly, who do arise when you call us to arise, who change course when you call us to change course, who are humble of heart uh, towards others, towards our brothers, uh, that lay aside our differences, our prejudices, our preconceived ideas about others because we love you, God, enough and we love the, the, the people of the world enough and we want those who don't know you to also be included in your great blessings. God, would you use us as a beacon of light here at 2911 Coggy Hill and would you use us as a light in our individual spheres of influence? Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.